0: Good morning. I confess a little bit this morning that my heart is racing. I had the opportunity yesterday to go to a one-day conference, and uh, a video of a small church in China had just received Bibles. They had been waiting for years to receive Bibles. And, and to see those individuals weep and praise the Lord for God's Word, for the first time just receiving that, was really convicting. And, and as I read and opened my Bible this morning, um, in preparation for this, uh, my eyes were opened of how I've taken advantage of God's word, and so out of respect of our risen Savior, out of respect of His word that is truth, would you please stand with me and turn in your Bibles to First John chapter two. We'll be starting in verse seven, reading through verse eleven. First John chapter two, starting in verse seven reading through verse 11. And if you do not have a Bible, feel free to use a pew Bible on page 708. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, humbly approach your throne of grace, Father. I thank you, I praise you, Lord, that you have loved us from the beginning, that you first loved us before we loved you. Father, I thank you for your son, I thank you for Jesus, that he was light, that he works in us, that he went to the cross, that he died, he rose again, providing us salvation for those that trust in him. Lord, may you speak to our hearts this morning. May you use Pastor Bruce in a powerful way. May your words flow through him. I give you all the glory and the praise in your name. Amen.
1: Well, how many of you have experienced a DTR? DTR. I'm sure most of you here have, if you are a couple, Um, it's that moment when you define the relationship with a significant other, so there's no confusion as to the status of that relationship. DTR, define the relationship. Uh, It's the talk that takes place in a romantic relationship to determine the level of commitment going on in that relationship. It's, uh, it's to see where things stand. It's to find out if what you have is real or not. I remember having the DTR talk, if you will, with a, a girl I was dating at the time in college, and we had the talk, and that relationship ended rather quickly after that talk. Wasn't going anywhere, so why continue on? But then, that's when I started dating my wife, Darla, and after going out a couple of months, it was time to again have the DTR, the define the relationship talk with my wife. And it was quickly after that that we were engaged, got married, and well, after 26 years, we're still defining that relationship. (laughs) No, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Here in the book of John, John is kind of doing the same thing, I should say, 1 John. In fact, this little letter here, five chapters long, could be described as John's DTR letter uh, to kind of help us to define the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. John, in other words, he wants us to be rather honest, in fact, very honest about our relationship with Jesus. Is it real or is it not? Do we have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do we have fellowship with the Father through Jesus? And if it's real, John wants us then to have assurance that it's real. He wants us to know that we know Jesus and have eternal life. And so as we already have been seeing over the course of the last few weeks, John provides a series of three tests throughout 1 John by which we can define our relationship with Jesus to discern If it's real or not. We've already seen one test, and that is the test of belief. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? But not just any Jesus Christ, not your imagination of Jesus Christ. John's like, no, from the very beginning he tells us, no, we're talking about Jesus who has been revealed by God in the flesh, manifested in the flesh. That Jesus, the true Jesus, do you believe in him? The one who died on the cross for our sins. The one who rose again to save you from your sins. The test of belief. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as revealed by the word of God and manifested in the flesh? But then we saw another test last Sunday. In John, we kind of call it this test of obedience. Do you obey Jesus? We learned last Sunday that obedience shows that we really know Jesus. It's an evidence, if you will, of our salvation because if you know Jesus, you obey him. And if you obey Jesus, you know Jesus. Well, today, we come to John's third test. And we could call it the test of love. And so, let me ask it this way. Are you saved and you know it? We've kind of been using this question for the last few weeks here. Are you saved? And you know it. And then your life will surely show it by your love for one another. Your life will surely show it by your love for one another. In fact, John writes in 1 John 2, 3, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. That's the obedience test. And so John starts in this whole section here in the first chapter of John, and then going into the second chapter, he starts by saying that we know that we know Jesus, because we obey his commandments. And now what John does, he he takes the same theme of obedience and he he starts to get more specific and says that we know we know Jesus because we obey the commandment to love one another. And so John is continuing this thread, this theme of obedience that he starts with in chapter 2 here, but now he's applying it specifically to this commandment to love one another. And so we go from the test of obedience to this test of love. Why? Because Christ-like love is real evidence that we know Jesus, that we have eternal life. In fact, Jesus himself tells us that true believers are identified by their love for one another. In John 15, 13, 35, where Jesus says... By, This all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's John's test of love. It's one question. We could pose it this way. Does your love for one another identify you as a true believer? Does your love identify you as a true believer? Or does your lack of love, to say it in the negative, does your lack of love identify you simply as a hater in life? Now we chuckle sometimes, I'm sure many of you have read the Peanuts cartoon strips, and we chuckle at those because so often we can relate to the portrayed dilemmas in life in which those cartoon strips give us. Such as when Linus threw up his hands in the air and yells, I love mankind, it's the people I can't stand. You see, this is, was one of the problems... In John's day as well, and specifically it was a problem with a group of people who were known as the Gnostics, these false believers in the church. The Gnostics, they claimed they knew Jesus, but they didn't show any love for those who were following Jesus. They saw themselves as superior to everyone else, and they treated them with hatred. And so what John does, he calls them out on this. He calls them out, and he begins to expose what they're doing with this test of love. Now, by the way, let me just say that that's not an unloving thing to do. John has some, so we're going to see some very strong things to say in these verses. He's very black and white about it. He's very frank and terse, and he just comes out and says it. But if we adopt our culture's mindset... With what John is telling us here, here's how we will begin to think ourselves. John, don't be so judgmental. Who do you think you are to say such harsh things? Everyone has a right to their own opinion and believe what they want. But you see, our culture tends to think love means never saying anything or never saying the truth that it's go- if it's going to hurt someone's feeling. That's not love. Our culture thinks that, that love is just accepting whatever one anyone wants to do, and it's okay. And you should never confront people on that. But that's not what we see John doing here in this section of verses. That's not what he models. John, as we will see, he speaks the truth, but he does it in love. And in love, he tells people, listen, how you're thinking, how you're living, it is wrong. It's not according to what we see from the apostles and what Jesus has taught us. Now, it's no coincidence then that John begins this hard-hitting message by calling us brethren or beloved, depending on what translation you have. If you go back and you look in verse 7, where he starts here, the very first word is brethren or beloved. Now, that's a term of affection, as we've already seen. It's It's a term of heartfelt love. And that's kind of John's way of reminding his readers that he loves them dearly, but also that God loves them dearly. They are beloved in God, but they're also beloved by John, who's writing to them. It's sort of like a parent telling his child, I'm going to give you a spanking, but it's because I love you. And the child says, Dad, I wish you didn't love me so much. Well, this is kind of what John's doing a little bit here. John knows what he's getting ready to write. And it's hardcore truth. And so he reminds them, listen, I don't say this in hate. I don't say this to be mean. I, what I'm getting ready to say to you comes from my love for you. John loves us dearly and he wants us to have assurance that we know Jesus and so he holds up for us this test of love. He tells us love gets real when you know the commandment and then keep the commandment to love one another. So let's break it down in those two points there. Know and keep. Number one, love gets real when you know the commandment to love one another. Now, what's interesting is that John never really states what the commandment is that he's writing about. And the reason is, John didn't need to come out and state it. Because everyone knew what he was talking about. Everyone knew he was talking about the commandment to love one another. After all, Jesus called it the, quote, great commandment. And so people knew John means the commandment to love one another. It's like when we say we're going to go out and to the K to see a Royals game, everyone knows we're going where? To Kauffman Stadium. At least everyone that lives here in Kansas City knows that. It's kind of like the same thing with the people, to the audience there in, in, that John's writing to. They knew what he, commandment he's referring to. But when John, it's what John says about this commandment that is somewhat confusing here. Look at it here in 1 John 2. Look at it in verses 7 and 8. He says, brethren or beloved, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So John says he's writing about an old commandment, but then he says he's writing about a new commandment. John, make up your mind, right? Which is it? Is it old or new? And the answer is it's both. The commandment he's referring to is both old and new. In other words, this command to love one another is not new in time, But it's new in emphasis. It's new in an example. This command is not new stuff that John's given to us. But it was neglected. And so John's bringing it up again. And he holds it up for us as a test in which to gauge ourselves, in which to measure ourselves by. So let me show you how this is a new and an old commandment, how it's both. First of all, the commandment was established in the past. That is, love one another as we love ourselves. Love one another as we love ourselves. John basically says this commandment goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity. In 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12, John even echoes this commandment to love one another. And then he illustrates it by the rejection of this commandment by referring to Cain's murder of his brother Abel. So we know as early as Adam's very first sons, we are taught to love one another. This command was also established in the Old Testament law. You go back to Leviticus 19.18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, when he comes along, he reestablishes this commandment from the very beginning that we saw with Adam and Eve even then, in the Old Testament, and now he reestablished it when a Pharisee comes to him and asks him a question. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answers this Pharisee in Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then he adds, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so John's reminding us now because it's been neglected. It's kind of like parents with their kids. You tell them once, hey, don't do this, or you need to do this, and they forget to take out the trash, and it's now one week, two weeks they're forgetting, so what do you do? You pull them aside and you remind them again. Hey, this is something we've talked about. We need to put, we need to be doing this. And so John's reminding us this commandment was established in the past, but it's also something which you have had from the beginning of your own Christian life or your own Christian experience when you first heard the gospel. In other words, when you embrace the gospel, you also embrace this very responsibility to love one another. It's as if John is saying to us, don't act surprised by all this. Don't act surprised by this commandment. It's a very old commandment. This is nothing new. And believers should be doing this, should be characterizing our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. We've been telling you to love one another ever since we proclaimed the gospel to you. In fact, your love for one another is evidence that you truly believe the gospel. It identifies you as a true believer, this commandment here to love one another. At the same time, What John is telling us, this old commandment to love one another is also new. You say, well, in what way is it new? Well, it wasn't just established in the past. What we see, it's also elevated now in the present. What way is it elevated? Well, John, or rather Jesus, changes the emphasis of it. Notice, love one another as Jesus loves us. This old commandment is given a new emphasis and a new example. Instead of loving one another as we love ourselves, now we are to love one another as Jesus loves us. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. It's still the same command to love one another, but now it's elevated It's elevated with a new emphasis and a new example because of the way Jesus has loved us. The greatest demonstration of love is Jesus Christ. And so if you want to see what love is all about, just look at Jesus. So the question then becomes, well, how did Jesus love us? Because that's the way we're now to love one another. Now, think with me about this for a moment. Think about how, just take one segment here, about how Jesus loved his disciples, the 12. These guys were not the easiest bunch to love. I mean, talk about how everybody's normal until you get to know them. That was them, the 12 disciples. And that's kind of like it is with all of us here. Everybody's normal from a distance, but when you get to really know them, you're like, oh my word. Who is this person? They're not the easiest person to love, and that's all of us these disciples they were arrogant they were ambitious they were selfish they were self-centered and peter we all know about him was constantly shooting his mouth off i mean can't you just imagine how many times he offended the other disciples with some comment he said on more than one occasion jesus asked how long must i bear with you how much how much longer lord do i have to put up with these guys The disciples displeased Jesus. They frustrated him. They annoyed him and irritated him. And yet Jesus loved them anyway in the same way that he loves you and I. Now let's be honest. That's us. That's all of us here. We are just like the disciples and Jesus loves us anyway. In fact, Jesus loved us when we didn't deserve his love. Jesus loves us even when we're unlovable. Jesus loved us unconditionally, sacrificially, and completely. And now Jesus says, that's how I want you to love one another, just as I have loved you. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, I'll have to admit, when we hear this verse about laying down one's life, we tend to think, oh good. I'm off the hook because so far I haven't had to lay down my life for another person. And while that's true, it's true that laying down your life is the ultimate demonstration of love. That's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross. We're missing the application of this, of what Jesus said, if that's all we think it means. You see, we can... Love as Jesus loved without, quote, laying down our life and literally dying for someone. You say, how is that? Well, by laying down our rights. Laying down our preferences. Laying down my selfishness. Laying down my desire to be served. And when we do that, we, in a sense, are laying down our lives for one another. Paul put it this way in Philippians 2, 3 through 6. He says, don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Now I read that out of the New Living Translation because many of us are familiar with that passage and once we're familiar with something, we can kind of get so used to it. And so this has a little different twist on how it's read, how we say it, how we hear it. This is the application of the command to love one another. We love people who are difficult. We love people who who are disgruntled and disagreeable just as Jesus has loved us. Now, don't miss, though, what John says in verse 8. Look at it with me again. He says, again, a new commandment I write to you which thing is true in him and in you. This love that Jesus, John's talking about isn't true just for Jesus. John is telling us that what is true in Jesus is also true in you, in believers. Now that's interesting here, that's important. That's a bigger deal than we think. In other words, what John is saying here is that when we demonstrate the love of Jesus, we are also demonstrating the light of Jesus Christ. Notice the last part of verse 8. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now what is that referring to? Well, when Jesus entered the world, he became the light of the world. His birth, what we celebrate at Christmas, marked the sunrise of eternal light. Spiritual darkness has been penetrated by Jesus. Oh, there's still darkness in this world, spiritually speaking. But as the light of Jesus' gospel spreads, the darkness is replaced by light. The light of Jesus, the light of the gospel. And when Jesus returns, the darkness will pass away completely and fully, along with Satan, who is the prince of darkness. For John, what he's doing is saying that love and light are part of the same gospel. In fact, in John's mind, you cannot mention one without the other. Love and light go together here. And so love gets real when you know this commandment to love one another. You know the supreme emphasis Jesus had put on it. And you know Jesus is our supreme example to follow when it comes to loving one another. Because what's true in Jesus, John says, listen, that's also true in you. Why? Because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. And so what's true for him is true for us. This is how we are to love one another, just as Jesus loved us. But it's not enough just to know all this. It's not enough just to know this commandment. John goes on and says love gets real when, number two, you keep the commandment to love one another. Now... This is where our love for one another gets real. This is where our love identifies us as true believers. When it comes to the test of love, there's only one question on John's test. Are you keeping the commandment or not? That is, do you love or do you hate? Look what John writes here again in verses 9 through 11. He says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in the darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now there's two realities that John brings forth about loving one another. Two realities here. The first reality is this. Loving one another, he tells us, is evidence your relationship with Jesus is real. When we love one another, when we show Christ-like love to one another, John says, that's evidence, that's tangible evidence, that's real evidence. It's authentic evidence that your relationship with Jesus Christ is real. One of the evidences for knowing you're a true believer is whether you love one another. John says you cannot say you're in the light and then hate your brother or sister in Christ. Basically, John just comes out, and he's so black and white about it. He just says, listen, if you claim to know Jesus, but you show no love for other believers, then you're living in darkness in spite of your claim to be living in the light. You cannot say, oh yeah, I know Jesus, and then hate other believers at the same time. Listen, if hatred characterizes your life then you're still living in darkness and not in the light. Now, we probably ought to stop here and ask a question. What does
0: John mean by hate?
1: What does he mean by hate? Well, let me give you a simple definition here. Hate is a, it's this feeling of hostility, animosity, or dislike for someone else. Hate means to harbor an underlying attitude that despises someone else and views them as an enemy. And this kind of hatred can be expressed in two different ways. There's what we call active hatred, and then there's passive hatred. Active hatred is where we do or say things in order to hurt other people. Most of us are more probably familiar with the passive kind of hatred where we express ourselves by being cold and indifferent and uncaring. But John says, whether it's an attitude of active hostility or passive indifference, it's all a form of hatred. And John says, this kind of person, if this is what characterizes your life, is not a true believer because he's still living in the darkness. Now, again, what John does here, he gives no wiggle room. There's no room for excuses in John's mind here. Basically, he's saying, if my life is not marked by this kind of Christ-like love, and how Jesus has loved us, then I'm living in darkness no matter how much I claim to be living in the light. In other words, there's no in-between. It's all or nothing. Notice this in your notes here. John says, Those who practice hatred are living in darkness, and those who practice love are living in the light. There's no in-between. It's all or nothing. There's no middle ground in which to live as a true believer. Either you love or you hate. When love is absent, then hate is present. There's no in-between. There's no, well, I don't like him. He annoys me, so I'm just going to sort of ignore him. Listen, John says, you don't have that right anymore. You gave up that right when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Christ. You cannot be annoyed, I mean, let me say this, you can be annoyed with another believer, but what do you do with that annoyance? You can can be disappointed with another believer, but what do you do with that disappointment? You can be hurt by another believer, but what do you do with that hurt? You can be angry with another believer, but what do you do with that anger? And what we're seeing here is that we move beyond being just annoyed to hatred when we cut that person out of our lives. We move beyond disappointment to hatred when we gossip about that person. We are moving beyond hurt to hatred when we seek to hurt them as badly as they hurt us. We move beyond anger to hatred when we let bitterness fester in our hearts. So let me ask you, who do you hate? And how do you justify that hate? Well, it's interesting because Paul, Apostle Paul, he tells us what to do with that hate, that annoyance, that disappointment, that hurt, that anger, and the list goes on and on. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So how much has God forgiven you? Before God forgave you, did he put you on probation? No. Did he withhold love and forgiveness until you showed you really meant to change? No, God forgave us when we didn't deserve forgiveness and he loved us when we were unlovable. And so the first reality is loving one another is evidence your relationship with Jesus is real. If your love is real, then you can be assured your relationship with Jesus is real. The first reality. But there's another reality here. Number two, loving one another is measured by my walk, not my talk. In verse 9, we see a person who says he is in the light and hates his brother. You drop down to verse 10, and we see a person who loves his brother and abides in the light. Now, did you notice the subtle difference between the two people? One says, but the other says nothing. This person doesn't need to say anything. His actions speak louder than his words. He doesn't claim to be in the light. He just abides in the light. And his love for one another proves it. In contrast to the counterfeit Christian, or the false believer, it's obvious that this person here in verse 10 is a true believer by his love for one another. The testimony of this person's life comes through loud and clear. It's obvious. They don't go through life keeping grudges. They forgive one another. They don't exist to be served. They serve one another. This person shows Christ-like love because they abide or walk in the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And then John closes this whole section by giving us two results of all this. One of the results is negative, and then the other result is positive. Notice the positive result first. He tells us that a life of love keeps you grounded in life. A life of love keeps you grounded in life. Look what he says in verse 10. He who loves his brother abides in the light... And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Now stumble, great little word that John uses here. It actually means to fall into something. And in this particular case, it's the idea of falling or stumbling into sin or even apostasy, which is exactly what was going on in the churches in John's day. So John says that a life of love now is this basic principle of faith that will keep you grounded against falling or stumbling. In other words, the more you love, the more light in life. And the more light, the less chance of stumbling in life. You won't stumble into wrong thinking. You won't stumble into wrong living. A life of love will keep you grounded in the truth. Now, the opposite is just as true. If a life of love keeps you grounded, then a lack of love causes you to stumble. Some of you perhaps are here and you are so discouraged in your Christian life, your journey. You're discouraged by it because you can't understand why you fall into sin all the time. And the same sin all the time. You seem to trip over every little temptation Satan puts in front of you. And that can become very discouraging. Some of you may be here and you're so unstable in your Christian life that you rarely experience any kind of real victory In your spiritual walk with the Lord Your journey if you will And John says perhaps The problem is You don't have love And if you don't have love You don't have the light To keep you from stumbling in the dark As one author put it In the light there is no pitfall And so that is the positive result That when we walk in the love Christ-like love we have the light of Jesus Christ and it keeps us grounded in our walk with the Lord but there's a negative result a life of hatred brings great danger in life it brings great danger look what John says in verse 11 this is very informative here look what he says but he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes now let me tell you it's a dangerous thing to walk in the dark you ever gotten up in the middle of the night to get a drink it's dark in your house you think oh, I'll be fine I don't want to turn the lights up and wake up my wife or the kids or whatever I'll be, I can make it to the kitchen to get a drink. I'll be fine. And you think that until you stub your toe or you hit your head or you step on those Lego blocks that your kids left in the hallway. And then you're like, ah! Wasn't well, too safe anymore. And that's when you discover that walking in the darkness can be dangerous. Well, a life of hatred brings two great dangers, John says. And the first danger is loneliness, and the second danger is blindness one of the dangers of hating others is that you are alone in the darkness no one wants to be with you because no one can see you when it's dark you can't see and it doesn't matter how many other people are there in the same room with you when it's dark it is as if you are what alone because you can't see anyone and no one can see you And those who are in the light don't want to be in the darkness. It's not a good thing to walk in life all alone in the darkness. In fact, people who walk in the darkness don't make themselves known. They like the darkness. They like the secrecy of it because they want to hide themselves. In fact, they separate themselves from community with other believers. They tend to reject any counsel from other believers. They tend to burn bridges in the process. It's a dangerous place to be in life. The second danger is blindness. You ever seen someone who is in great spiritual danger and they didn't even know it? That's the danger of walking in darkness. You're blind to the lost condition of your soul and you're blind to your need for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's really dangerous is that this person actually thinks he sees better than others. But in reality, he's blinded by the darkness of his own hateful spirit. And so here's John's warning in one sentence. Love is not blind. Hatred is blind. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great pastors of years past, writes, Because he is an unloving person, he causes other people to stumble. These people with this unloving nature are always finding problems and troubles. They always see insults where they do not exist. There is always something upsetting them. They're, they are always being put out. They are constantly stumbling because of their unloving spirits. A life of hatred is a life of... Of darkness It's a life of frustration Disappointment, discontentment It's a life of sorrow and loneliness Because we're not only separated From other believers But most of all A life in the darkness is We are separated from God the Father And we're not only in danger in this life We are in danger in the next life Of spending eternity in hell If we don't check our hearts To see whether or not We truly know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What John writes in these verses should be very challenging to us and very convicting. Because you can't say you know God and just cut a brother or sister out of your life. Listen, I know stuff happens between people. (laughs) We're human beings, right? Stuff happens in families, Some ha- stuff happens in church families. And by the way, he's not talking about our love for the world, for lost people, although that's not, he's not saying we shouldn't love lost people, but John is targeting our love for one another, our love for brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, in the family of God. And yes, stuff happens But how are we any different from the world if we just treat people like they treat us? True believers are identified by our love for one another. So how do we know that we know Jesus? Well, John says it's very simple. We know that we know Jesus because we obey him. And that obedience shows up most of all in our love for one another. So when our love gets real, the assurance of our salvation gets real too. That's the whole summary of all this. When our love gets real, our assurance of our salvation gets real too. Are you saved and you know it here this morning? Then your life will surely show up by your love for one another. In fact, your love makes it obvious that you're a true believer in Jesus Christ because only true believers in Jesus Christ can actually love like Jesus Christ. Now, as we conclude, let me ask you a simple question of application. How's your love life here this morning? And I don't mean romantically with your spouse or significant other. I mean, how's your love life when it comes to loving one another? Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, who is hardest for you to love? Right now, think of that person. Who's hardest for you to love? Who has hurt you the most lately? Who really irritates you? Rubs you the wrong way? Who is most difficult for you to forgive? Listen, love gets real when you reach out to those people with patience, kindness, and forgiveness. Remember, true believers are identified by our love for one another. And when our love gets real, the assurance of our salvation gets real too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will continue your work in us. And Lord, we we pray and ask that you would forgive us of our sins. Our hatred of one another at times, both active and passive. And Lord, that you would cause us to walk in your light, to live in such a way that demonstrates that we understand that we know that you died for us. Father, cause us to glorify your name as we repent of our sins and as we acknowledge that in Jesus Christ alone we have righteousness and the assurance of our salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise team's going to sing, and as they do, will you respond? Right where you're seated in prayer, asking God to expose your heart before Him and to respond as needed.